We are in Joshua chapter 8. And I'm going to take you through the map so that you, you realize what we're about to, to discuss because there's going to be a lot, of, uh, uh, a lot related to the strategy now related to this map. So, so uh, uh, let me show you where they are. So again, this is the Sea of Galilee up here. This is uh, current-day Israel. And, and uh, this is current-day Jordan. So they're attacking now, and they're coming across the Jordan River. They came across the Jordan River, so they came over here from Egypt, wandered in the wilderness 40 years. They were supposed to have gone up and attacked from Kadesh Barnea. They didn't trust God. He sent them wandering in the wilderness 40 years, and they came up on this side, conquered this side already. Living on this side is is Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. That's two and a half of the 12 tribes are living now on the east side of the Jordan River, which connects the Sea of Galilee with the Dead Sea. Dead Sea being the lowest place on planet Earth, 1,300 feet below sea level. This scale is 20 miles. So you see it's not a very big land. From, from uh, uh, the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan River is only like here 40 miles, uh, here only about 30 miles. Right now in current day Israel, because of because of sectors that have become Palestinian sectors, if you were to look at the thinnest point across Israel, it's about 14 miles, current day Israel. So it's, it's really quite, quite thin, and a, a military jet flies across that in a matter of seconds. So they've crossed, they conquered Jericho, they're based now at Gilgal. They're about to attack Ai, this little, this little uh, um, city of Ai. Ai is... is uh, 2,600 feet above sea level. And so they're going to trek uh, 3,500 feet from Jericho to Ai up, uh, uh, up a mountain, up these mountains. And then right next to Ai is Bethel, this, little, this, this other city, Bethel. And so you see these two cities are only about a mile apart. Very common in Israel. Very common to see this in Israel. In fact, if you, if you look down here, uh, around Jerusalem, you can stand up, and, and Shereen and I just did this the last time we were there. We were up on a hill, right up here, right about here, and we could look at Jerusalem. We could see Hebron, which, which we could see Hebron down here, Gibeah, and you could see all around. You stand stand on a mountain, you can see a lot here. So they're just about to come across an attack. Now, what, the way the strategy, and we're about to read it, is this. They had sent up 3,000 men, we read this last time, and they were defeated and beaten back by that country of Ai, by that city of Ai. And the reason that happened was because of sin in the camp. They've now repented and dealt with it. Joshua is going to send 30,000 men. 30,000. Remember, the city of Ai only has about 6,000 men. We learned that from, from the end of chapter 8. Only has about 3,000, about 6,000 men. He's sending a force of 30,000 men right on, on the west side of Ai. They're coming by night, two days before the battle, and they're going to camp out right there on the west side of Ai. He's going to send another diversionary force between Bethel and Ai to make sure that the folks in Bethel don't attack the rear flank of his hiding 30,000 men. So there's going to be another 5,000 men just hiding outside, outside of Bethel, make, making sure they don't attack the rear flank of that 30,000. Then he's going to bring the rest of his forces, about 100,000, 
just north of Ai and have them camp in this valley just north of Ai. Most cities there are all built on top of a hill. They're going to be down in a valley below here. And what happens is Ai is going to then come out against them. So Ai will come out against them and try to push them back as they did before, not realizing that there's about 100,000 men now and not 3,000. They're going to intentionally flee and run northward into the wilderness as if they're fleeing. That is going to draw all the men out of Ai chasing after them. At the same time, the folks in Bethel are going to see this and they're going to join in the pursuit going after those, those men that are running into the wilderness. When the men leave Ai, Joshua will be on a mountain. He will raise his javelin and the 30,000 men in hiding will run into the city of Ai and set it on fire. Once they've done that, that will demoralize the men of Ai when they look back and they see their city ablaze. And then the 100,000 or so, we're estimating 100,000, will turn around and attack them from one face and the other 30,000 from the other face. And those men at Bethel are going to be caught in this too and be destroyed. So that's the strategy of what's happening. So let's read in Joshua chapter 8, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. So this is an interesting first verse. Joshua had sent 3,000 men and they were summarily defeated by Ai because of sin in the camp. He dealt with that sin and now God is going to encourage him. We'll come back to this. But he says, I want you to arise and take all the people of war. We don't know exactly how many people he had with him, but we do know that were 40,000 fighting men, we're told in chapter 4, just from Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh who were on the east side of, of, of the river Jordan. 40,000 of their fighting men came across. So you had 40,000 men just from two and a half tribes. So that's why we estimate that it's well over 100,000 in total when you add up all 12 tribes fighting people. So, so uh, uh, he says, bring all the people of war. Before he only sent 3,000. Now he says, bring, and, and uh, that's what Joshua sent. God says, bring them all. He says, I have given... Into your hand, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Verse 2. You shall do to Ai and its king, just as you did to Jericho and its king. You shall take only its spoil and its cattle as plunder for yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua rose with all the people of war to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 men, valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. He commanded them, saying, See, you are to go to ambush the city from behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out to meet us as at first, we will flee before them. They will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city, for they will say they are fleeing before us as at first. So we will flee before them. And you shall rise from your ambush and take possession of the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. Then it will be when you have seized the city that you shall set the city on fire <clears throat> and you shall do to it according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them away and they went to the place of ambush and remained there between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua spent the night among the people. <clears throat> now Joshua rose early in the morning <clears throat> and mustered the people. 
And he went up with the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. Then all the people who people of war who were with him went up and drew near and arrived in the front of the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between him and Ai, and he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Ai, between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. So they stationed them, so they stationed the people, all the army that was on the north side of the city and its rear guard on the west side of the city. And Joshua spent that night in the midst of the valley. And it came about when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose up early and went out to meet Israel in battle. He and all his people at the appointed place before the desert plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. And all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua, and they were drawn away from the city. So not a man was left in Ai or Bethel, who had not gone out after Israel. And they left the city unguarded and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out your javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. So Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. The men in ambush rose quickly from their place, And when he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they quickly set the city on fire. And the men of Ai turned back and looked, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to the sky. And they had no place to flee, this way or that. For the people who had been fleeing to the wilderness turned against the pursuers. When Joshua and all Israel saw that the men in ambush had captured the city, and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and they slew the men of Ai. The others came out of the city to encounter them, so that they were trapped in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and they slew them until no one was left of those who had survived or escaped. But they took alive the king of Ai and they brought him to Joshua. Now when all Israel had finished killing the inhabitants of Ai in the field and in the wilderness where they had pursued them, all of them were fallen by the edge of the sword until they were destroyed. Then all Israel returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. All who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not withdraw his hand, with which he stretched out the javelin until he had utterly destroyed the inhabitants of Ai. Israel took the cattle and the spoil and the city and the plunder for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation unto this day. He hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree, and they threw it at the entrance of the city gate and raised over it a heap of great stones that stands to this day. So, until the writing of this book, that that pile of stones remains. So you see the battle that took place. What I want to point out here, it's a very different battle than the Battle of Jericho. The Battle of Jericho, the walls fell straight down into the ground so that the children of Israel could run forward. It wasn't like the walls fell over. They would have had a lot to climb over, very high walls. The ground opened up, consumed these walls. The people ran straight in. That was a miraculous event. Every other city now that they are going to attack is going to be attacked by military strategy. Just like our lives, God does miraculous things occasionally. Generally, you go through by normal strategy. You, 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 you take your tests like a normal person. You study for your tests. 
You can pray to God for, for great grace, but it's not like you see a vision of the answers in front of you. All right? Generally in life, there are not great miraculous things that happen. You use normal strategies to do this. He used very normal military strategy. I want you to see that, that God himself used a ruse here in military strategy. There was deception in the way they did it. When they were fighting a war, indeed they used military deception in battle. And they used overwhelming force. It was not, well, don't use a force that you have to use a, a force that's commensurate with the other force. No way. In war, you don't do that. We have the lesson right here. When, when it was up to Joshua himself, he just sent 3,000 people. God said, send them all. Just overwhelm them. And, and, uh, and then he took them all and he trapped them. So there were only 6,000 men in Ai, Bethai, Bethel probably not much larger. And he had well over 100,000 men to engage with them. And he used this military strategy to engage with them. And so he used this overwhelming force. I mean, there are things that we do as believers that we are to conquer in. And our battle is not against flesh and blood. Turn to 2 Corinthians 10. So where does this leave us as believers? So we see this battle going on, but turn to 2 Corinthians 10, because as believers, this is where we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start reading at verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So look at what he says. This is where we are as believers. We learn what was happening in Israel. Most of us here are not military people, right? I mean, Rice doesn't have a big military ROTC program. They have a little one, uh, but not, not a very big one. What are, what are we supposed to be doing as believers? For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our war, warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So he talks about what we are supposed to be engaged in. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. So what are we destroying? Not physical cities. We are destroying speculations. There is a purposeful and deliberate battle that we are supposed to be in. And if we take this in a lackadaisical manner, in a haphazard manner, if we're cavalier about this thing, we'll accomplish very little in the battle that God has us in in our life. It is very deliberate. In my career, one of the things that helps me very much with my purpose in my witness to not just the Rice campus, but the campuses in where I'm invited to speak and to give Christian witness and Christian testimony. And through my website, the things that I'm saying, the things that I'm proclaiming, some of the things that help me very much is where I am in my profession. When my professional career is blessed, I get invited more places. And more people show up because they want to see this scientist who's going to be talking about God. In fact, there's some people probably in this class today that come to see, I want to hear this scientist talking about God. This is interesting. If I were just a normal pastor, 
many people wouldn't normally come to the talks that I give. So I intentionally use that to my advantage. I use that to bring people in. You say, that's, that's sort of deceptive. I mean, I have it right here. This is strategy. This is military strategy. I'm going to outflank them and put people here and here and here and just surround them with the Word of God. I am going to do this. This is intentional strategy. I had a guy, a, a friend of mine, just email me that he lost his NIH grant, his National Institutes of Health grant. And, and he and I are about the same age. I've been a professor for, this is my 29th year. He just completed 30 years. And he says, well... I guess I'll just throw in the towel and just teach my classes. After 30 years, I guess that's enough. I'll just spend more time with my wife. And I'm like, have you no fight? I mean, I have lost so much money over the last six or eight years in, in research dollars, but I just, I just fight all the harder because if I lose my research dollars, I can't publish papers anymore because I need to pay the graduate students who really do the work and then... And then they put my name on the paper and I get the credit. I mean, this is, this is actually the way it all works. And, and, and this, is, this is why I get invited to all these places to speak, out of sight, out of mind. If I'm not publishing papers, nobody knows about me and they don't invite me anymore. This is strategic. I have to have an intentional strategy in my career to excel in order to accomplish what I want to accomplish in the gospel, for the gospel's sake. And this is the mission that I have. So I've got to write these proposals and pray that I get funded and do these things for the sake of the gospel. You see what drives me? You know, well, why is he in there all the time? He's in there on Saturdays. He's in there all the... Why, why do I do this? For the sake of the gospel. This is why I do this. I could easily just settle back. Why fight this fight? Why do this? Why work all these crazy hours? Because it's for the gospel's sake. We do this for the sake of the gospel. This is our mission. He says, he says that we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. How else could I get in to these universities and speak to have these big things where students will come to my talks, will draw them into my website to start to read, to start to listen what's there? How? If not by, by, by doing this through the world's ways of having to have a career. Campuses don't just invite pastors. Come, come and share at our campus. Nobody would come. I mean, pastors are a dime a dozen. They are. What will draw people in? There has to be intentionality. So God said to Joshua, I am going to give AI into your hand. I am going to give it into your hand. So Joshua said, okay. Give it to me. You're God, I'll just sit here. Just give it to me. God said, you said you'd give it to me, just give it to me. I have great faith. Great faith. God's going to give it to me. God said, no. That's not the way I give you things. The way I give you things is it takes work from your end. You're going to have to trek up this mountain 3,500 feet. It's a 13-mile journey if, if you just, if you just look, look on, on the XY axis, it's 13 miles. But it's, it's 3,500 feet on the Z axis. And so this is, this is what you're going to have to do. And you're going to have to engage in a battle. And you're going to have to have a strategy for this. There's a strategy in this. 
And so there, there's this purpose. How many people here saw the ads for this class uh, on Facebook? Did anybody see the Facebook ads for this? All right, so that did... One person back there? Did you see a Facebook ad, anybody? Nobody saw the Facebook ads. There were 7,000 people that, 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 that looked at it according to what, you know, within the first week. I know it must not be you guys or something. Maybe, maybe it knows you already come here. Facebook knows more about you than you think. You know, why waste the ad on you? Because we, we, we set it up for, for certain parameters at certain age groups. And, and then a guy went and he tried to find it and he couldn't find it. And I said, you're too old because we had set it for, for the ages of 18 to 25. And this guy's like 40-something. And so, so th- there was strategy here. We want to do what's going to work. I want you to think about this in life. You excel in your career for the purpose of the gospel. It is not about you anymore. It is not about yourself. He says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. What we have is divinely powerful. I have so much more. I have been so blessed in my career, much more than I deserve. Much more than I deserve. People think my IQ is much higher than it really is. So I get all of these accolades in the, in, in the world type of things. Why? And I know why. Because God uses it to open the doors before me. If you will allow your career to advance for the purpose of the gospel, you will see great advance. But if you start taking it to yourself, you will see a declination very quickly occurring in your life. If you use this for the propelling of the gospel, getting into positions to propel the gospel, you will be greatly blessed and only in that will you be satisfied. I know many people, their careers are highly blessed and they're never satisfied. They're never happy. It's never enough. There's always another guy that has more. And there's this jealousy that works in and I look at them and I'm like, what's wrong with you? I mean, you've got so much. What's wrong with you? They're never satisfied. If you learn to serve God, there's a great satisfaction that comes in. There's a great contentment that comes in. But it is purposeful. It is a very deliberate work that we do. And it is not easy. Paul says, look at my life. He says, who, who is... Who is suffered without my suffering with them. Who is hurt? And he says, besides all this, let me tell you. He says, I've been shipwrecked three times. A night and a day I spent in the deep. He says, I've been beaten times without number. He says, I can't even remember how many times I've been beaten. I've been uh, stoned. I've been whipped. I've been flogged. I've been... And he goes through this litany of things. That's why you don't want to right away become an apostle. You go through real hard stuff. I know in this day and age, lots of people call themselves apostle so-and-so. I'm like, you don't know what you're doing. If you're really an apostle, you're going to get clocked all the time. You're going to get, you know, people are going to attack you all the time. That's the testimony of Scripture. But there is a burden that we carry because of the sake of the gospel. There is sleep that we go without because of the sake of the gospel. Because you want to learn and grow in the Word of God, you sacrifice sleep and you wake up earlier than do most people. You go to certain things 
and you go to certain ministry events because of the cause of the gospel. There are certain things that we do. God took Joshua, who was really beat up. He had just lost this little battle with Ai, and he thought, that was it, we're going to be totally defeated. And God said, pick yourself up. I'm going to give it into your hand, but this is how it's going to have to be done. There are times of failure that are going to come in your life, and you're going to think, wow, I just so blew it. Here I had this opportunity to speak, and I said things totally wrong. Well, welcome to my world. This happens to me all the time. I get these opportunities, and I never say it quite right. I never say it exactly the way that I I wished I would have said it. And I wish I could go back and re-say it. But that never works. You don't get opportunity. You just go on to the next one. You just go on to the next one. And God is gracious and He opens up the next door. Just like to Joshua, He said, Get up from there. Deal with it. We're going on. This is what He has before you. You will have failures in your life. Remember what I'm telling you today. So that when you have times of failure in your life, you can look back and say, It's just like Tour told me. He told me I've I've had failures. Alright? So you're just fulfilling exactly what I said. You're going to have times of failure in your life. You get yourself up, you quit sucking your thumb, and you go ahead and you start, start proceeding on and you take the city of Ai. And by the way, he'll give them Bethel also. Bethel just happened to run out in this thing and they got caught in it too. So they got Bethel, the same, that same city in the attack. You will do things that you never imagined. You get invited into places that you never imagined. You get invited to talk to people that you never imagined. You know, I go in and I talk with all of these business leaders, like CEOs. I don't deal with anybody. I just deal with CEOs. Chief operating officers, they're they're not to my level. I just go in to the CEOs. And, And why do I get invited into this? Because they think this is interesting to see this professor. Because I'm not a business person, I get invited into these settings. And I get to talk with them. And right away I start talking about God. And they're just totally blown. These are scientists talking about God. But I can do this because I'm coming totally outside their community. I've got this thing of science behind me. And they think this is amazing. He's talking about God. And I look him right in the face. I said, do you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? And I've had these men just start tearing up right in front of me. Just like that. Because these words have power. It's not me. It's the power of God. These words have power. I have my colleagues in the business school. They said, Tour, you're the only one who could get away with this. <laughs> you, know, you do these sort of things. You meet certain people. You, you, you step into these things and God blesses. I mean, I have occasions where, where I've done this, 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 this very same sort of thing. There was once I was invited in to meet a, a guy who owns a football team. He's been very successful. He owns a football team. And, you know, these are usually very wealthy guys. It costs like more than a billion dollars to buy a football team. I mean, these guys are... And so I'm, I'm sitting, sitting in, his, uh, in his home with him one day. He, wanted, he was interested in buying one of my companies. Now, all of my companies are nano companies, lest you get the wrong idea. It means they have very, very little assets. It's, it's nano assets is all we have. But... <laughs> But he, but he thought he could make a lot of money from this thing. So, so sitting in, in, I'm sitting in his library in his home. Just it's me and him and his banker. I don't have anyone with me. I have no banker. I have no lawyer. I just, I just go in there. It's just me and the Lord. And, and then his, his, and his, his butler was there serving us. And he talked for, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes about this. Finally, I looked at, at him and I said... 
do you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? Put his head down. He said, yeah, I think I do. I said, okay, let me tell you about what the power of God can do in a man's life. And I walked for 30 minutes, just circling right, right around the table there in his library, just talking about God. And he just sat there and his banker was like, just his mouth hanging open, just watching this scientist walking around talking about God. And, uh, and then we, we got done talking. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a mission statement for this football team that is there to glorify Jesus Christ. And, and we became very good friends after that. And he, he, he walked me out to my car. And I didn't want him to walk me out to my car. Because at the time, so, so I... The car that I own, that I drive now is the first new car I've ever had in my life. All right? I was well over 50 years old when I got my first new car. My kids have had new cars. I've never had a new car. I always get, get the car that Shireen is done with. And, 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 and so I called it the trash truck. I mean, it would, it would be full of just, just candy wrappers and popsicle things and, so the kids would grow up in there and it would become an unreliable car. And then I would get it and she would get the new car. So I had one of these cars. It had a big hole in the muffler. It was all rotted out and everything. And, and I remember, and I'm, I'm like, you don't have to walk me out to my car. <laughs> Cause, because he lived in a beautiful area of town. And, and uh, so he comes out to my car and he's looking at And his limo sitting there with a driver sitting in it. Anyway, that's who I was. That's who I am. But God, it's God's power. And that man has stood behind me in any event, in anything that I've wanted to do. If I needed to, to raise money for some big Christian event, you know, I don't have to write to all sorts of people. I just send him a letter. That's it. How much do you need? He covered. I mean, to him, this is, this is just in the noise, really. It's, it's not, I, don't, I don't raise lots of money for, for Christian events at times. But, it, it, but anyway, it's there. God opens up doors. It is amazing what God did. And you're going to see military strategy. We have to be intentional about our strategies in the gospel. You plan certain events and you, you bathe it in prayer, but there has to be planning. You can't just sit there. Well, if God wants this thing to work out, it'll work out. No, you, you be concerned about the chairs. You be concerned about can people see from where they're going to be sitting in the room. Is the sound system right? You begin to check. You pray about that, but you deal with it. You deal with it. There are issues that you have to deal with. All of this is the military strategy. This is the cause of the gospel. God brings people in. God opens up the heart, but it is up to us to take these challenges and to walk with, walk with God in it. Your careers are very, very important. It is where you will become academically, where you will become professionally, that will open up doors for you. That is not to say that only those who are academically well-trained can be good witnesses. Not at all. But it is to say that there are very few witnesses in top positions in the world in top political and academic and corporate positions, there is a lack of believers who are on fire with God. This is your mission. This is why God has you here. It's not about you anymore. It's not about us. It is about Him. Him who gave Himself for us. It is about Him. This career of yours is for Him. He is the one that can grant you great success. This is why God has you strategically placed here. 
and you go with this mission in mind and it stimulates you to get up in the morning and say, I got to deal with this. I have to do well on this exam. I have to get up and pray because I have a mission in life that exceeds that of the normal person. My calling is much higher. The person that, that my colleagues, all they got to worry about is their chemistry. They don't even worry about teaching their classes and it shows. They're just worrying about their, their little chemistry thing. For us, who are called by God, it is a much higher calling. We have the gospel's sake. For the gospel's sake, we have ministry as well as our professions. And this is why we need prayer because without that, this is why we need time with God and the Word of God to keep us strong in Him because without that, we would quickly fade away. This is your mission. This is your calling. Take it up and walk with God in it. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank You so much for the Word of God which challenges us. Lord, I pray that You would take these young people and let them see a new mission through their lives. That where You have placed them, the, the places where You have put them academically are to prepare them to go into to locations where there is not a great witness of the Gospel and they are to be the Gospel witness in that place. Father, prepare them. Prepare them by meditation on the Word of God and in prayer and through their academic studies. Father, prepare them. Bring them up in places of leadership, in places of public speaking. Father, prepare them for what You have to minister the Gospel in places that's so hard to get the Gospel into. Father, I pray that You'd bring some up into top political positions to bring the Gospel into those places. Father, I pray that You would bring some up into top corporate positions to bring the Gospel there. And that You would take many of them and put them in academic positions to bring the Gospel there. Father, I pray that You would do a great thing through their lives, that You would take hold of, of every thought, bringing it captive, that they would bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ through them. Father, build them up with You. Father, Your mercies be upon them. And Father, to those here who do not know You, draw them to Jesus through You, I pray. Draw them to Jesus through You. Father, I pray that their hearts would be open and take these others here that know You, and Father, I pray that You would put a fight and a passion in them like they've never known before because they are fighting for the Gospel's sake, for the sake of the Gospel. And Lord, we commit this to You for the glory of Jesus. Amen.